Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in just a little while, Clark Stinks, where you get to hear where someone feels I gave misguided information, bad advice, or that I just am thick in the head. Whatever. It's uh, it's one of my favorite things to hear where you feel I'm not serving you the way I should. Clark.com is our main website, and Clark Deals is where you can go to save money each and every day. And one of the most confusing areas of trying to save money is travel. Um, Even for people who travel frequently, finding the right price for travel you want to do for your air or for a cruise or for a hotel has become much more cloudy. There used to be certain patterns that you'd follow to get the best deal. But now... Airlines are using, and many hotel chains as well, are using a new level of pricing tools that has been coined hyperdynamic. Because there used to be dynamic demand pricing that used historical demand and what was it for this same week the last year, what was it for the same day the last year, and how have tickets been selling to this point? It was, uh, I mean, it was pretty sophisticated and took a number of these factors and crunched them. And so the patterns were relatively predictable. But I read from one of the New York Times travel writers' story that the industry is now using the hyperdynamic pricing where they take all different kinds of things. They track what people are searching for online. And if they see a big step up in people searching for uh, surfing trips to Costa Rica, I'm making this up, this wasn't from the New York Times writer. They see a lot of people searching for that, then their pricing models, and it's all automated, their pricing models will say, huh, we're going to have a lot more demand going to the coast in Costa Rica Let's push those prices up or an area that people are not that into or if an ultra-popular artist, um, musician, announces a new tour, the system will automatically price in higher prices on tickets on dates that correspond with that tour. But here's the thing that will make your head spin. On popular routes... Airlines are changing fares typically 35 times a day. So, you know, I talk about with using Google Flights or Kayak or Hopper, any of the things where you can do a thing that tracks the fare for you to a market, and you'll get a notification that the fare's gone down, let's say. Then you go to the website to try to book that ticket, and it's more money than it was before, And whatever deal they talked about isn't there. It's because the price is changing on average more than once an hour on not the big demand routes, on lower demand routes. The fare will change typically maybe 8 to 12 times a day. So what's a person to do? 
By the way, hotels doing the same kind of stuff. What I recommend, you and I cannot overcome all the stuff that the travel industry is doing with the hyperdynamic analysis and pricing. What you can do is use the information that the whatever site you're tracking fares using, if it says this fare is significantly lower than normal, what you're seeing right then, don't freak out if later the fare goes lower and you could have gotten it another $30 cheaper or whatever. You want to buy it when you know it's in a band of pricing that by historical measurement is a good price. That's the best we can do right now. And maybe, maybe some consumer search engine for travel will come up with a tool that also uses hyperdynamic abilities and artificial intelligence and will be able to be on a more equal footing. But for right now, use history as your guide because it won't be predictive, but it will be close. It'll be more like horseshoes. Andrew's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Andrew. How can I be of service to you? Um, it being tax season and everything, I have a tax question for you. I don't quite understand what the standard deduction is. And I feel like last year I had a lot of, I itemized my taxes and I had a lot of things to pay for, for my mortgage and, you know, mortgage interest and student loans. And I had a, I had a kid, but I, in the end, I, when I was using the tax software, I, it still told me to use a standard deduction. So I was wondering, has it changed? And yes. is it still worthwhile to, to do your, your own taxes with a tax software? So the standard deduction changed um, in 2017, I think. What happened is that for returns last year that you would have filed, it would have been almost not impossible, but being very unusual that you would have done better itemizing versus the standard deduction. Because the standard deduction was increased a whole lot, and a lot of things that were deductible before no longer are. So overwhelming percent of taxpayers use the standard deduction. So uh, you married or single? Married. So your standard deduction doing your 2019 is like over $24,000, if I remember right, by memory. And that's that's a big number. And so it's really hard for you to overcome that with itemizing. Now, you said uh, not use software. How would you do a return otherwise? I, I was reading on your website. There were some, some free options, but I don't think I qualify for those. So I guess I still have to do the tax software. So you've got like Credit Karma Tax you can use for free. I don't okay. know if you've seen that as a choice on my website. Yes, yes. And so then you give up some privacy to Credit Karma, but you set up an account with them, and then you can sign up for Credit Karma Tax, and they'll do the software for you and the filing all for nothing. Okay, so I still go through the process of filing for my taxes, of course. Right. But be, be ready for it, to, for it to tell me to be using the standard deduction. Right. So, okay. yeah, so you do the mindless exercise of coming up with, <laughs> with what you think are going to be useful deductions and right. do all that 
paperwork and then it's going to say, oh, why did you bother? All you're going to do is the standard deduction. <laughs> okay. All right. That makes it clear. Thank you. Sure. Have a great day, and I hope doing your taxes isn't too much of a hassle. You know, speaking of the new tax law, there was the most wild story that I read about how people who own high-end homes in a number of states are leaving those states because the property taxes, you know, all your state deductions are what you can deduct of state taxes are capped. And that one of the states that people are moving to in big numbers is also one that uh, higher income taxpayers are leaving, and that's the state of Texas. Because Texas has very, very high property taxes, particularly if you have a high-end home, and those taxpayers are finding without being able to deduct those taxes on their federal return that it's become cost prohibitive for them to remain in Texas and they're moving elsewhere where the very high property taxes are not an issue. So who knew? There's always, when you change the tax code, there's really unintended consequences. And you think about Texas with so many people moving to Texas because of no state income tax. And then the curveball happens potentially with other taxes. Government gets its money some way, right? Is it... David or David is with us on the Clark Howard Show? It's David. It's David, David Clark. Thank okay. you for taking my call. Certainly, David. How can I serve you? I have been receiving lately um, promotional emails uh, from uh, one of the three major credit bureaus on uh, a way of boosting my credit score. And uh, I'd like to know how does it work? and if there are some uh, counterindications, because I am very close to 800, so uh, I'm quite surprised of uh, receiving such uh, uh, promotional emails. Well, the, the, it's from Experian, I'm assuming, is what you're talking about. Cause yes, they, it is. They've been soliciting a lot of people about Boost, and it's designed for people, not you, because of your very high credit score, that means you've got multiple lines of credit. But there are a lot of people who have what are known as thin files, where they don't have a lot of credit in existence. And what Boost does is that it considers things that are not credit, like how you pay your cell phone bill, how you pay your power bill. If you have a natural gas bill, how you pay it. Um, It could... Uh, I don't think there's there are others that consider how you pay rent, but I don't I don't remember if Boost considers rent. The idea is that Experian believes you can identify somebody who would be good with credit by somebody who pays their regular bills on time all the time. And so for I you, see. if you're pushing eight hundred, this is not of interest or note for you. I see. Thank you very much, Clark. Sure, but there are many people who would benefit quite nicely from it, and so I'm glad you asked the question for people who would get a direct benefit. Margaret's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Margaret. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate your help. Absolutely, Margaret. You are one of the rare people 
in America who still has a pension. Yes, it's actually my husband. Yes, we were a one-income family, and I just feel uh, blessed because we didn't know a lot uh, starting out in life. And now, though, we're faced with decisions that we really do need to make some wise choices because there's no one who can rescue us if we go wrong. And I also note when I went online that you were talking about when you would take Social Security, it would be 70. That would be the best thing. Other people have said that, too. Um, You know, like it's the best thing if you're relying half or more of your retirement income on it, which I'm thinking we would be. And then we sold our home. We're in a condo. It's now paid for. We did work on it as well. But, you know, to our standard, it's great. We love it. And so we have money between that and the one more check that they gave, like a severance check. So those together, the money we have is like 120000 And originally, I was trying to make that last to 66 in four months for him. But I thought to myself, uh-oh, we could, we could actually take the monthly pension starting at February uh, 1st, 2022. And we could actually make that third 40000 a year because that's about what our base expenses would be. Uh, going to two years if we started taking the monthly pension. So actually, we could wait till age 68 before we started using Social Security. So the net ups us to about $5,000 a month to work with. We have since had counseling available to us where people say you should take the drop and then invest it and do this and do that. But we don't feel secure that way. We, you know, we feel more secure with that $5,000 amount a, a month. And I know that there'll be taxes taken out of that because it's just income and we were just at the tax account just yesterday as well and I was asking these questions. And I hear the anxiety in your voice. Yes. (laughs) You and your husband have got to go sit down with a financial planner. Okay. Because you are not trying to figure out how to invest a lot of things. You're trying to figure out what's the right way to handle money. You are a perfect candidate to go to a member of Garrett Planning Network. I don't know if you've ever heard me mention them as you've been driving across Florida. You might have, but I'm writing it down now. So (laughs) Garrett Planning Network, you can hire somebody, you just like you go to an accountant to do your taxes and you pay him or her so much per hour to Mm -hmm. advise you. That's the same way a Garrett person works. So you go in with the questions you have regarding the pension, when to take Social Security, the other things you're trying to figure out, because once you make a decision, it's done. So you want to make right. sure you do it the, with the uh, smartest way to do it. And right. that's why sitting down with somebody who doesn't sell anything, just gives right. advice, <laughs> is who you want right. to see. And let him or her lay it out to you. And it's GarrettPlanning.com. I think GarrettPlanningNetwork.com. GarrettPlanning.com, GarrettPlanningNetwork.com. They both work. And find somebody by zip code close to you. And both of you go and and sit down with somebody, have all your questions written down of the things that you are concerned with and what money you have as sources for when you move into this next phase of your lives so you can get the best advice possible. And I bet you'll have a much better sense about what decisions to make and how to handle money after you do that. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com slash ask. And there are typically three ways you'll get an answer to your question. Either you'll end up uh, communicating with a member of Team Clark, or you'll ask me the question directly, 
or producer Joel will ask your question for you, which is what we're going to do right now. Yeah, Clark, Tim's got a question. He says, is it better to consolidate multiple loans, like auto loans, personal loans, and credit cards into one loan, or is it best to pay them off individually? Almost always it'll be best to pay them off individually. First of all, the new credit scoring models look down on consolidation loans because that's usually a sign somebody's in distress. Also, vehicle loans tend to carry low rates. They pay off on a set period of time as an installment loan. They are generally uh, relatively low risk. You don't want to mix and match the various types of loans together, except in very, very rare circumstances I can't even think of right now. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off, especially me. So what do I mean me ripping you off? Well, there's something that we've done for, I don't know, 15 years or so. Clark Stinks. It's where on Clark.com, we have a forum where you can share where you feel that you heard me say something on uh, the radio show, the podcast, TV, whatever, where you feel I was giving bad guidance, bad advice, incomplete information, bad opinion, whatever. I want you to go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and post that. And other people can see it. They can comment on it. And uh, they can also start their own thing that they're like, well, you think that's bad. Let me tell you this. And then weekly, our producer, Krista, goes through your posts on Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and then shares highlights with you right here on the show. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, highlights. Let's talk about traveling on a plane. You like my special Clark Stink shirt? I love your shirt. Clark has a shirt on that has a piranha eating another fish. It's like a cartoon. So cute. So this is what you're going to get. Are you the, you're the uh, little fish right now. Here you go. All right. Clark, you don't stink, but how could you tell with all that saline you put up your nose? A caller asked for your flying recommendation, and you told them to use saline solution to keep from drying out. Good advice, I'm sure. But what you failed to tell them is to use a wet wipe and wipe down the seat, seat belt, and tray table when you sit down. This helps get rid of the germs from who knows how many flights. And I would argue the little TV in front of you and the, yeah. And I see that a lot now when I fly, that people will sit down and, well, even before they sit down, they start wiping everything down with a um, antiseptic wipe or whatever you call those. Uh, and they want to be in a, a germ, as germ-free an environment as possible. I was listening to your segment on great-paying careers that don't require a college degree. Whomever did your fact-checking on air traffic controllers missed a detail and left out a few more. To prevent you from getting stinkier, let me help sort a few things out. The mandatory retirement age is 56, not 55. While the average pay sounds enticing, I would warn people that some facilities pay way less than the average. It's possible to transfer to a busier facility, but it may take time to make the average pay. On a positive note, it is in a rare group of employment that still provides a pension and has access to the TSP retirement account that you hold in high regard. 
Interested candidates can check the usajobs.gov to see throughout the year when they have an open application period. I've been an air traffic controller for almost 17 years. It's a job I take great pride in and still enjoy doing. Louie. Louie, thank you uh, for everything you said and especially correcting me on 56 versus 55. I don't know why I always had in my head 55 was mandatory retirement. And I also appreciate what you said that the average is just an average There are controllers, depending on what tower you're in or what facility you're in, the pay could be more or less. And I'm sticking with the air theme. Here's another one. Clark, I listen a lot and you don't stink, but I think more research is due before you suggest people jump at pilot careers. The pilot shortage is nothing more than a giant corporation's hoax in in luring an overabundance of recruits in attempts to keep labor costs and pay at minimum. Airlines cry shortage every day. I was flying full-time for the largest regional, making $35,000 a year in 2018. After several years of service, they're short of people willing to work at near minimum wage. By the time you figure out your total hours a day per flight versus flight time, it's very mediocre pay. I went back to working in construction and tripled my income at 50 years old. Stacy. Stacy, thank you very much for your post and... The reality is the regionals, uh, commuters, whichever people prefer to call them, have faced a lot of turnover with pilots, a lot of shortages, because the airlines that treat the regionals as like captives don't reimburse them enough money to retain pilots, you know, to pay pilots and flight attendants enough money. And it's caused huge problems with flight cancellations when there's no crew available, The reality is, like many other professions, the pay needs to rise to reduce the turnover and attract more applicants. As for the overall number of pilots, I don't think I'm improperly hyping the retirements that are coming, and it's part of it's all because of the switch from age 60 to 65. We're about to have a period of time that there's a meaningful shortage of pilots at all levels of flying. Hi, Clark. I don't think you stink, but please stop treating us like idiots. Please stop saying CES, formerly known as the Consumer Electronics Show, every time you talk about it. We all get it now. Sincerely, every listener of your show. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) let me tell you why I say that. Because... I found that if I said to people that I'm at CES or I'm going to CES or I've been at CES, they would say, what's that? Uh, A lot more often than you might realize. So maybe every listener to our show knows that CES was the Consumer Electronics Show, but a lot of people have no idea what CES means. Okay, and this was the most popular email I had in the Clark Stinks folder. And this was um, this was something you did earlier, I think at the maybe the end of last year, beginning of January, but here it is. Woo, what a stench. I thought I hit a skunk or something, but it was my podcast speakers. Clark took a call from a small business owner concerned about giving their social security number for a 1099. I own a small partnership and many years ago, we applied to the IRS for an EIN employer identification number. This made it easier to split 
our income for taxes, but also our 1099s. No more social security number, problem solved. I'm surprised Clark didn't suggest this. Head to the Dollar Tree soon for deodorizer quick. Rick. Love that, that, Rick. that was the sentiment of many, many, many Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a fail on my part. So, I mean, I, I operate with EINs and, you know, I should have known better. EINs, EINs. All right. Couple of posts on this. I was picking up my lab grown diamond from FedEx and listening to your podcast when all of a sudden it started to stink so bad I had to crack the window. You said you were talking to a guy in the diamond business on a flight and he said maybe the only way to tell lab grown from real diamonds is that they're too perfect. What? Lab-grown diamonds come in the exact ranges of 4C quality as natural stones. They are not all perfect. The GIA has a sophisticated system for identifying lab-grown diamonds, but it involves specialty-designed instruments and lots of radiation. Please check your sources with a brief internet search before parroting what some guy on a flight said to your millions of listeners. Sincerely, someone very happy with his SI2J lab-grown diamond. And we also had a certified, a um, yeah, certified graduate gemologist who wrote in with several points for you that I'll show you later. Wonderful, and and I stand corrected on that as I had already heard from somebody else about that. I went and looked at several sites that sell the manufactured diamonds that are chemically identical, and yes, they had variations as to color and clarity, just like. A diamond dug out of the earth. So I apologize for parroting what I was told by a, a diamond expert. <laughs> Some kind of plane. Yeah. So it just as an aside, if anyone's ever wondering if Clark Howard is the same on and off the air, he totally is. I was at your habitat build with you this weekend. And we were talking to a guy who said he his girlfriend very well behaved the woman he marries. And Clark was telling him, all about the lab-grown diamonds. <laughs> and also diamond. telling him about buying uh, used diamonds. Yes, yes, yes. A lady called asking for advice for moving her investments from a bank to a low-cost brokerage company. You stated the bank will likely charge her for moving her money out, and there's nothing she can do. There is something she can do. If she moves her money out of the bank to one of your favorite children, Fidelity, Fidelity will pay the fees for her. They do this for everyone. It worked like a charm for my family. Additionally, they were able to transfer, quote unquote, sales in kind, i.e. the same funds funneling over to Fidelity, so that we didn't have a tax reportable event. Thank you for all you do, Janine. Janine, thank you for that tip. Um, that used to be a common thing that Brokers would pay the exit fee of the institution you were pulling money from. And I didn't know that people still did that. So I appreciate that post. Clark, you on a recent show, you put down oil heat. Keep in mind, please, that oil and propane heat always fluctuate. Oil heat right now is a bargain because you get more BTUs with oil than gas, especially if you have an efficient boiler, such as an energy kinetics boiler, which can be easily converted to gas if desired. And whenever gas is less expensive, historically, the foreign oil companies flood the market with oil to compete. Jay. Jay, thank you for that. And I appreciate your perspective on that. And if you've not heard me, the issues going on in the world right now likely mean we're going to see lower oil and um, gasoline prices 
for the foreseeable future. I love the show, and usually Clark's advice is outstanding. However, I feel compelled to point out that his stinky, his stinky segment on privacy, stating that when this nation was formed, they had no concept of privacy and that a person has no right to privacy in the Constitution. It's just not true. The Fourth and Fifth Amendments to the Constitution are very clear statements on privacy. Admittedly, the right to privacy is not explicitly stated, but it is implicitly clear as ruled on by the Supreme Court. Certainly, privacy and identity has changed since the 1700s, but it always was important. Thank you for all the hard work the team does, Mike. Mike, I really appreciate that as a perspective, and I feel that our modern era requires explicit privacy laws, and we haven't been able to get those because of the power of dirty money in Washington. Clark is usually spot on in his opinions, but completely misses the point when he goes off on private for-profit colleges. Yes, a lot of these colleges use unscrupulous tactics and should be held to account in what they do, but Clark never said a word, says a word, about private, nonprofit, and public universities doing nearly the same thing, but on a larger scale. These universities actively recruit students that graduate in the bottom 25 to 40% of their classes when the statistics clearly show that odds of them ever graduating from college are remote at best. They are then left with tens of thousands in student loans, no degree, and no income to ever pay it back. Since so many of these students are already economically disadvantaged, I consider this to be morally reprehensible. Todd. Todd, thank you. And, and you know, the reality is we have too much student loan money chasing too few students and the real solution here is to make it much much more um, difficult for people to borrow for college and the economics shows that if people are more careful about borrowing college costs moderate and that's what we need to be about it's classic economics i appreciate all your posts i'll try to do a better job being more precise with my answers and I appreciate the help from you. Nathan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Nathan. How's it going? Good. How are you, Clark? Great. Thank you. Nathan, you got a question for me about some debts that are troubling you. Tell me. Uh, Yeah. About five years ago, I got my first credit card right before I went into college. And in that five years, I've accumulated a little bit uh, too much debt for my liking. And I'm trying to figure out what the best way, because I've got high interest rates on credit cards, obviously. And I'm trying to figure out a way to maybe consolidate my own, my credit card debt and maybe get a personal loan. I don't know whatever you would recommend to consolidate that debt. um, Do you know what your credit score is right now? Um, My credit score uh, on Credit Karma is 651. Okay, 651. It's going to be a bit of a problem for you being able to tackle this in the ways that are going to be lower cost. Are your interest rates like around 20, 22%? Um, I have two cards that are at 18, and then the rest of them are in the 20 to 22% range. Okay. So this is, this is not the easiest. Okay. Have you stopped using the four cards? Um, I stopped using all but one of them, which is, I I use my one card from time to time, but I have stopped using the other ones. 
I'd like to get the debt down on them. Yeah. There's only one card that really has a really significant amount of debt on it, and it's the one that I used a lot when I was in college, you know. Okay, so you're not a good candidate for what I would normally recommend, which is a balance transfer to a card okay. that would be at a lower rate till the balance is paid off or 0% for a year or 18 months. But you are a potential candidate to maybe get a lower rate through Prosper.com or LendingClub.com. I don't know if you're familiar with either of those organizations. Um, no, I am not. Okay, not so let me tell you what point. they are. They're where individuals loan money to other individuals. Okay. And they'll be able to tell you if you go to LendingClub.com and Prosper.com, based on your credit score, if they can actually save you money by doing okay. uh, essentially a personal loan with either of them to replace the debt that you have with the credit card companies. The beauty of it is it will be for a set term. So you'll know, hey, for the next so many months or years, I'm going to pay this much per month, and then the debt is done. Okay, and now that's what I was really looking for, some type of personal loan or something that I know how much I'm paying a month. So if, month. if Prosper and Lending Club aren't going to save you any money, if neither uh -huh. of them would offer a rate attractive enough at your credit score, uh -huh. this is debt that just is sitting there and you're not making progress with it, right? Yeah, that's essentially what All right, it is. I would then want you to go to nfcc.org. NFCC stands for National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Uh -huh. Find an affiliate near you and go meet with a counselor to work out a payment budget. If they think okay. your situation's dire enough, they'll actually negotiate for you with the credit card companies. Oh, okay. But I would, I would start with Lending Club and Prosper. If that's a no-go dead end, then I'd go to nfcc.org and get on a plan where you wipe that debt out. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.